Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Good morning. How are we doing this morning? It's good to see everybody. We're glad you're here. If you're, this is your first time or you've just started hanging out with Genesis, we're especially thankful that you are here this morning. And I would love to meet you at the end of service and just get to know you for a minute. My name's Mike. I'm one of the elders here and I am the pastor of Preaching and Vision. So I have the honor most weeks to stand up here in front of you. And uh, we're preaching through this great book of Acts. Notice in the text this morning, we'll come back to this, but notice in the text uh, that it ends with the fact that the Lord added day by day those who were being saved. Uh, it begins, actually the previous verse tells us that on the first day of Christianity, 3,000 people were baptized. So the Lord saved a bunch of people and he kept saving a bunch of people. And one of the things that I want to tell you is that in Genesis, this is one of our great hopes. We love it when people come to know Jesus. We believe that our God saves them. We, the, the word saves, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. The idea of being rescued, redeemed. There are so many ideas in scripture that are connected to that. But here's the deal. The only way people get saved, the only way people come to know Jesus, the only way they are forgiven and redeemed, the only way Jesus becomes their king is if they hear about Jesus. If somebody shares the gospel with them, invites them to church where they will hear the gospel, gets involved in their lives. And in Genesis, one of our main strategies is a challenge for each and every one of us, each and every one of us is for us to have what we call our one. The one person. Let's, let's just begin with one person that we're going to intentionally love, we're going to intentionally pray for, and we're going to intentionally seek opportunities to share Jesus with them, hoping that they will hear the message of the gospel and that the Lord will save them, Right? And, and I'm here to tell you that in two weeks, we have one of the greatest moments every calendar year for those kind of conversations. Because statistics, studies tell us that Easter Sunday is a Sunday that people who don't normally go to church, people who don't normally hear the gospel, people who aren't normally involved in a community of faith are willing to go and try. And, and the, the most common way for people to, to, to consider a church is through a personal invite. We can advertise. Here's what we found at Genesis as we kind of planted. We spent a whole bunch of money on putting stuff in the newspaper, sending stuff in the mail, uh, and very, a lot of money, very few people came. On the other hand, through the years, what we have found is the best way to reach people is you having intentional relationships and inviting them to church, just investing in their lives and inviting them to church. And Easter is one of those days. So here's what I'm here to announce to you. First of all, we've got two ways to help you with that. Because what we will hope you will do is at least with your one and maybe with a whole bunch of other people, we hope that you will just invite people to come to Easter service. Two weeks from today, uh, two ways that are kind of similar but a little different 
avenues. The first is we have invite cards, a hard, you know, just postcard type card available for you. You can pick those up on the way out, take as many as you want until they're gone. And if we, if we run out, we'll order more, right? But just grab the, the cards and you can use them to uh, just invite people. But, but we're kind of in the social media texting electronic age, right? And if you're part of Genesis, you should be on Koinonia, which is our uh, online web uh, community, uh, which actually comes from this passage, the name for it comes from this passage we're preaching today, okay? On Koinonia this morning, we have posted, uh, put up a post that is for you uh, with files, uh, image files, picture files of that invite card so that there's a Facebook-sized Po, uh, picture. There is a Twitter-sized poster. You can pull any one of those and put them on your Instagram. And we have one that is there in a PDF if that is easier for you to share. But you can take those and you can post them. So if you will help us, if you have any social media, t- download those files and start posting them on your Twitter feed. Start posting them out on Facebook. Our church will do the same and retweet our posts, like our posts, share our posts. Uh, take the files and text them. Just send a text that says, hey, I'd love for you to join me, right? Go to church with me on Easter Sunday morning. So they're there for you. We would love for you to go do that and just help us push out invites to come to Easter service. And we will believe now that the Lord will add to his number, to the number of the church, those who are being saved, as we are faithful to do that. All right, can you do that with me? I heard one amen, a lot of silence, all right? Come on, this is easy, okay? You don't have to knock on any doors. Just download a file, post it on your social media, send it to a couple people by text. I'm gonna ask one more more time. Can we do that together? All right, there we go. Uh, That's our hope. Easter is a great service. We are planning a wonderful service on that day, uh, and and, uh, we would love to see family, friends, neighbors, people that you are praying for join you on that day. Uh, I grew up playing uh, a lot of sports, and I was kind of a sports hunk. I know that right now I don't necessarily look like the guy who was the athlete when I was younger. You know, I used to be, can't do it anymore, kind of slow and, you know, shaped a little different. I used to be shaped like this. Now I'm shaped like this, all that stuff. Uh, but I loved playing athletics. I was uh, really involved in sports. And you miss the game when the game's over. I'll never remember, the, the, forget, I'll never forget the last game of my college baseball career when it was kind of like, okay, this is kind of over. And there's a lot of things that I miss about the game, about being part, part of athletic teams and all that sort of stuff. But, but for me, and you will hear this a lot, you'll hear professional athletes who retire and they will say, you know, I'm not gonna miss waking up early and spending all day doing all this fitness. I'm not gonna miss the weightlifting and the sweat and the blood that is shed that I do for this game. But, but you hear him say this, but what I will miss is the locker room. I will miss being with this band of brothers, this group of guys in this room where, where we were just together. The locker room was just a great place. We had a lot of fun in the locker room. There's a lot of camaraderie. And no matter where you were on the team, when you're in a locker room, you're part of that team, you fit in, and it becomes something that is important. Uh, one of my college baseball teams, our coach was kind of a hard-nosed guy, and it was kind of weird because he would, he would just always getting after his team like most coaches do but he had this voice that kind of sounded like Yogi Bear so he'd be like you guys it's just terrible the way you played today and everybody on the team like nobody to his face because we knew like that would be the the terror of the Lord on you if you did but behind his back everybody started like talk like him it was just kind of this silly thing but one of the things that went on is that his son Scott so this coach's son Scott was on the team so you're always careful about 
joking about this coat when his son was around. Like, it just felt like it was wrong. And there's one day this guy named Jerry who went on to actually play professional baseball in the minor leagues, uh, pitched for the, in the Cardinals organization. This guy, Jerry, who was the biggest, one of the biggest cut-ups in his locker room. Because every locker room has these guys who are just jokesters and has the whole locker room laughing. He's in there doing this, like, comedy routine in the voice of this coach. You guys, I just don't believe the way you do it. And, you know, he's just making fun of them. We're laughing, all this sort of stuff. What he doesn't realize is that the door opened and in walks Scott standing behind him. And we're like, what's going to happen here? And I, I'm watching Scott as Jerry just keeps going on. Just, just keeps going on. And, and the laughter kind of pauses and everybody's uncomfortable. And Jerry turns around and looks at Scott and goes, you know, his eyes get huge. He's, and Scott looks at him and goes, Jerry Daniels, I just don't know what you're trying to do in here, but it is not going to go well for you. We lost it. We were laughing so hard. Like, here's his son doing his dad's voice. It was, it was a classic locker room moment. But the thing about locker rooms is that when you step in those locker rooms, there is something that binds you together so that whether you were the star or you're the last guy off the bench, you belong. You're on the team. You have a role. There is connection. There is camaraderie. There is something that pulls you together and you belong. Uh, it's also a place where you won or lost together. You know, there were times as a pitcher that I gave up, you know, a hit that lost the game. I gave up, uh, you know, through a bad pitch. Uh, people made errors and those errors lost the game where they struck out. Uh, we watched last night as players missed a shot uh, that might have won the game for their team, but they missed it now or missed a free throw. Like if you watched the game last night, a lot of Duke players are going to go in the locker room feeling really bad because they missed a lot of free throws, right? And when you go into that locker room, you feel awful when you're the player who cost the team the game. Yet, what you find in that locker room is a team of brothers who wrap their arms around you and go, hey man, we did this together. This is not on you. We are a team. You're going to be okay. We're going to move on. You win and lose together. But what binds you in this locker room is a sense of common mission, that we are trying to be a good team to win a lot of games and to have maybe a championship in our season. And, and so the locker room just becomes this beautiful dynamic where there is a community that is built around a mission where everybody belongs and everybody has a sense of, of camaraderie and of closeness. It is something that, that if you've ever played sports on a, on a real, like a high school, college level, you know this is something that is actually real. And, and when it's over, you kind of miss it. Well, what happens in the text of Scripture, and especially here in Acts, is we see that there is a community that is built around the gospel, and that community for us should be our, our place where it's like a locker room, where we belong, we fit in, we feel like we, we have a sense of, of ownership, that there's a common mission, but it's a place where I am loved, and even when I have cost the team the game, people are going to put their arms around me and be like, hey, it's okay, we can move forward, God's going to be good to you, and so are we. And so what's, what's happened is we've read Acts, there is this one crazy amazing day that, that starts everything. Actually, two crazy amazing days. We have the death of Jesus Christ, who died in our place for our sins. Fifty days later, though, there is this moment that is called, uh, this day that is called the day of Pentecost, uh, which is a Hebrew festival uh, that is exactly 50 days after Jesus died on the cross for us. And at this festival, the city is filled with people 
The Holy Spirit comes on the first followers, a band of 120 people. They, they are filled with the Spirit. They begin to speak in other tongues, which is this crazy miracle. But what they're doing is they're able to communicate the gospel to the crowds in the street who came from all over the world in their own language with a miracle. And as this is going on, eventually Peter, the apostle Peter, this, this f- person who'd been with Jesus for three years, had massively failed, but Christ had redeemed him, stands in front of this crowd of thousands and preaches the first Christian sermon where he, from the scriptures, preaches Jesus. And it is the gospel of Jesus Christ that gives birth to the church. That day, on the day of Pentecost, at the end of this, this sermon that Peter preaches, that um, there is part of the text that says he just went on and on and on, which happens multiple times in Acts. You think I preach long? We're going to find a sermon later in Acts where Paul preaches well past midnight. He preaches so long that somebody passes out and falls out of a window. Okay? So, so, uh, but, but he preaches. But at the end of the sermon, they go, what do we have to do? And his response is, repent, believe in Jesus, be baptized. And it tells us that the Lord added to their number that day those Uh, The Lord added 3,000. There were 3,000 people who trusted in Jesus that day. But in Acts 2.36, there's kind of the key. This is what gives birth to the church. It is still what gives birth to the church. Acts 2.36 says this. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him, Jesus, has made Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. In other words, Peter is saying, you killed Jesus, but that act, it's not what God made him this. He was always Lord in Christ, but it is now made evident that this Jesus whom you killed is now risen, and he is Lord, and he is Christ. Here's what that means. This is the essence of the gospel, that Christ, in his death, burial, and resurrection, he is now the supreme sovereign of all. He is Lord. He is King. We just sang that. The confession, you are my king, is the same as the confession of you are my Lord. It is a confession that says, I bow my knee. I give all of me to all of you, Christ. I am yours. I am no longer my own. I am bought with the price, and I trust in you. And so there is this confession that you are Lord, and then there's this confession that you are Christ. And we've told you this if you've been coming. Christ is a Greek word that translates the Hebrew word Messiah. Same word, same idea this promised rescuer, this promised priest king that would come into the world, this, like the whole Old Testament begins to paint a picture of a single individual that would, would usher in the kingdom of God through his suffering, through his, his death. He would be the sacrifice for our sins. And here's what happens in the text. Where Peter says, God has made him both Lord and Christ. What he's saying to you and me is that if we will look to Jesus, turn from ourselves, look to Jesus, that this God will save us through our trust and faith in Jesus as king. In other words, I trust him with all of me. I give myself away and no longer follow me and I trust him. And this is we, we trust him as our Messiah, our Savior, our, 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 the one who his story is what rescues me. And this leads to 3,000 people. So now the church, day one, is 3,120 strong. In one day, this little small church that's about the size of our church, we're a little bigger on, on, on a lot of Sunday mornings, but not a lot. This band of people, 120 people, went to became a mega church in one day. In one day, it became a mega church. And God is doing something beautiful, but what happens in the story is, is that 
Now Luke is going to pause and he's going to give us a brief snapshot of what is going on. This, now, this community that starts as 3,120 people, this first Pentecostal church, that's what it is, is the first Pentecostal church in Jerusalem, right? And the first Pentecostal church in Jerusalem becomes the mother church for all other churches in the book of Acts and in all of history. But what is going on in this first church? And Luke is going to pause before he tells us more story to give us a, a big, broad brush picture of the activity and the service and the ministry of this early church. If you've been around here, you, you will know just by listening to what goes on in the text that this text has deeply influenced me. Not to impress you, but I do have that, what they call a terminal degree. I, I do have my doctorate. I, I don't want to be called doctor anything. So, but, but I wrote a huge chunk of my dissertation on this text. This text deeply shaped our founding documents, who we wanted to be as a church and who we continue to want to be as a church. It is a, a text that still I run to and I pray over and I ask the Lord to keep doing this here. Because what we see is a snapshot of, of Jerusalem. But it's, it's way more than that. One of my good friends in ministry, guy that I've known for years, who is the provost at Missouri Baptist University. His name is Dr. Andy Chambers. And Andy is a theologian. He is a leader at, at, in, in higher education learning at a very strong, very good Christian university that I also have the privilege of, of teaching at. Um, he wrote a book, Andy, Dr. Chambers wrote a book uh, that is called, um, um, well, I had it in my brain, right now I'm, I'm uh, The Exemplary Life, A Theology of Church Life and Acts. And what he did in this book has deeply shaped my thinking, and I actually fully agree with him, and it's now kind of the framework. I actually read most of Acts, and I think he's dead on. He looks at this, and there, there is this passage and two other passages, Acts 4, 32 through 40, 35, and Acts 5, 12 through 16, that are the summary passages. They're summaries about what's going on. They're, they're Instead of focusing on the apostles or a few people or, or the story's movement, it pauses and paints a big, broad brush stroke looking at the community life and the, the ministry and what's going on in the whole church, this whole community of faith. And like I said, it's three, over 3,000 strong. And what he says, the basic idea of the book is this, that what Luke is doing when he's writing this is he is taking a deep look into the mother church, Jerusalem, but what happens is in the rest of the book of Acts, this mother church begins a church planting movement. The beginning of churches all over the world. It ends up in the ministry of Paul. We'll, we'll talk about him later if you're not sure who he is. But he starts going all over the world. And he goes in every city. He preaches Christ. So just like Peter did here, he proclaims the gospel. He tells people that God has made this man Jesus, both Lord and Christ. People come to believe in him. That These people come from different backgrounds and stories and even all kinds of ethnic and cultural backgrounds as the story progresses. And every time he does this, there's a church planted. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, gives birth to a people, a community of faith, and that community of faith is the church. And here's the idea, that what goes on here in Jerusalem is a picture not just of the Jerusalem church, it is laying the groundwork so that Luke doesn't have to stop and every time a church is planted and go, oh, by the way, here's what they were doing. 
that we are to see Acts, these, these summary passages, especially this one, especially this one, and say that everywhere we see the idea of church in the book of Acts, the rhythms and attitudes and culture and values that happen in that chapter are taking place now in the city of Corinth, in the city of Ephesus, in the city of Antioch, as there is now an embassy of the kingdom of God in that city. So in a way, this is descriptive. In other words, it's telling us what happened just right there around 33 AD, right after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. 3,000 people say it's telling us, it's descriptive of what is happening there. But it is also a text that is prescriptive in terms of anywhere we go, if the church is truly the church, the same sort of things are going to be happening. The methods may be different, but the rhythms and values and attitudes of that community of faith are going to be important. And, and here's why this is so important for you and for me this morning. You may be coming here going, another sermon on what the church is. I, I don't care what the church is. I had a hard week. What do I need for my life? The answer is in the text. You need a community. You need a locker room. You need a place where no matter what you've gone through this week, where you're struggling, where your hurts are, you walk into that space and you were loved, you were cared for, we win and lose together, we were on the same team. You need a locker room, you need an embassy. This becomes an embassy of a kingdom. Think about the United States, anywhere you go in the world, Iran, uh, in, in, um, uh, you know, in, in South America we have embassies. I mean, you go to any country in the world, major country in the world, and somewhere in that country, normally in the capital city, is a piece of ground with a building that has, a, it's a compound in a building. On the inside of that building, you have American citizens who are living as Americans on foreign soil. They live in the city. So London, England has an American embassy. And, and they're in England. They are, are, you know, all through, like they, they're involved in British culture and all this sort of stuff. But it is a, it is a little place of America with American citizens that becomes an outpost of our kingdom, if we want to say that, of, of what it means to be the United States. And what happens here in Acts chapter 2 is that God, in the middle of this city that is right now Jewish, so these people who are living there understood themselves to be God's chosen people. And there's reasons for that. But in the midst of this, God, out of that group, saves 3,000 plus people who have bowed their knees to Jesus as the fulfillment of all that the Old Testament promised. And now they are a city within a city. They are an embassy in Jerusalem, an embassy of Christ's kingdom in that city. And, and so what we see in this text that is so beautiful is the rhythm and values of people who have Christ as their king, who are now living as an embassy of that kingdom, and, and whose, whose lives and, and the whole community is shaped by the gospel. So here's the big idea. That last week we told you that it is the gospel, the story of Jesus and the person and work of Jesus that births the church, that brings it into existence. This week we are going to see that that same movement gives shape to the church. That, that what happens as the gospel moves in the lives of people is that you end up with a gospel-shaped community. And that is what the church is and should always be in any city and any place where we fail to become what this text calls us to be, where we see the values and attitudes and rhythms in the church. We fail to see that. We're going to end up not really representing Christ well. We, we will fail to truly be the embassy in our city 
a place of safety for those who are part of the kingdom of God and a place of representation to the outside world of what Christ's kingdom looks like. So what I want to do is I want to run through this text. I hope you understand where I'm going. I want to run through this text and I want to take a look at this first church. And we're going to look at a lot of stuff here. I'm going to move fairly quickly through these, but you'll see what we're talking about. We're going to look at four commitments, three directions, two places, and then three outcomes. I should have had one outcome, right? But we're going to end up with three. So it's four, three, two, three. Four, four commitments, three directions, two places, and three outcomes that happen in this early church that are the same things that should be happening in every church where we're claiming Christ as king and living as an, as, as an outpost of God's kingdom in the world. All right? So four, four commitments. Look at verse 42. It says that they devoted themselves. That word devoted means they completely gave themselves to it. They were committed to it. They, they, they were uh, all in. They were, you know, they were tearing. They were steadfast. The language of the, the, the verb here actually means it was an ongoing activity. They were continually devoting themselves to, and look at what it says. It says to the apostles' teaching, the, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. There are four things we see in this text that lays the groundwork for what is going on in this community that, that is shaping them around the gospel. I hope, like if you're part of Genesis, I hope as we go through this, you will go, oh, I see that our church has this as a commitment. We are devoted to these things. It is what we want to be devoted to. It, it is what every church should be devoted to, four commitments. And the first one is the apostles' teaching. Now, here we are in Jerusalem. And they have these original 12 apostles that are in their presence. A couple weeks ago, I made a long argument. I'm not going to try to do it today. If you want to understand the whole argument, go back a couple weeks ago and listen to this sermon where I dealt with this doctrine. Are you ready? Big doctrine. The apostolicity of the church. You're like, what are you talking about, dude? All these big words today. But here, stay with me. This is the doctrine that says that Christ passed on to the original 12 his very word and promised by the Spirit to protect their message so that what we receive from the apostles is the very word of God. All right, there's a big idea. So what we see in the previous text, the message from Peter is that Peter is standing in front of the crowd and he's got two things going on that are closely related. He first of all is reading the Old Testament. He is preaching the Bible. And then Peter is interpreting the Old Testament through the lens of Christ and showing how the whole Bible is about the gospel. And what we get is this rhythm from the apostles, but as they write and as they speak, Jesus put this word in their mouth. They are speaking the very word of God. These apostles eventually die, but by the grace of God and his gift, we have also the New Testament, which is their preaching, writing ideas. We have Luke where they are preaching these things. And so what we see is the apostles' teaching is, the, the, uh, is with the authority of Christ, they are taking the Old Testament text and proclaiming Christ as the center of all things, preaching Jesus from the Bible. And, and it is with the authority of Christ as they do it. Now, we don't have the apostles. I am not an apostle. I don't want you treating me like an apostle. The only authority I have is the scriptures. 
But what we want to do in, in, in Genesis all the time is we want to open the Bible and show you the scriptures and show you how everything in the Bible leads us to Jesus. We, devoted to the apostles' teaching means that we are committed, a church is committed to the word of God, the scriptures in their life, and to preach Christ from the scriptures. And this is what's going on in the early church. Now, uh, just a, a generation later, we see the shift where the second generation Christians are not standing up and going, I have the authority of Jesus. They are quoting the apostles as they preach Christ, as the very word of God. And, and, and this has been passed on through generation after generation after generation that our message for you today is not a message that came from me. It is not a message we made up. It's not a message that we are just hoping to entertain you with. What we want to do is we want to preach what the apostles preach, the word of God, and Christ is the center of all things, okay? And to be devoted, we can be just as devoted as they were. We don't have Peter in, the, in our midst, but what we do have is the scriptures that were inspired by God through the pen of Peter. Later, we're going to hear a benediction. This just popped my head. We're going to hear a benediction that is from the pen of Peter, and we have that so that we can proclaim that to you. We stand in the shadow, in the, the, the continuous message of the apostles, and we at Genesis, we are committed, devoted to the scriptures and for, committed to preaching Christ from the scriptures. They were, they were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Second thing they were devoted to was the, the fellowship. Um, the word here is where we get our name for our online community, koinonia. You've heard, if you've been around, you've heard it say koinonia. It's a Greek word that comes from here. It literally means fellowship. Now, uh, I grew up in a tradition of churches where every church I grew up in, what we did is that, that church built a fellowship what? Fellowship hall. Like you've been in church at a fellowship hall. So like we're going to build this place and the fellowship hall was where we went and did what? We ate, right? So that's the idea is, is it is a place to do potlucks. And so when we had a fellowship, everybody brought food, somebody provided meat, here we go, we're going to eat. And, and like you, you were always in tension as a pastor, like, you know, you'd, you'd go, okay, I'm a pastor, I serve here, I ought to get to go first, but I'm supposed to be the, a, a, a leader among equals and I'm supposed to serve and give myself away. So really what I should do is go last. But the problem is if you went last at a potluck, what, you, what happened when you got there? All the banana pudding was gone and that was evil. And, and yeah, you, you were left with green bean casserole because there was like 14 of them, right? But, but what we've done is we said fellowship equals food. Now listen, what we see in this text is a little bit of that, that they shared their meals and all this stuff together. There is fellowship. There is, meals become a place of fellowship. But, but it was easy to go share a meal and sit across from a person and small talk and chit-chat, eat your meal and move on. And I ended up in churches that had fellowship halls with potlucks and not very many deep, meaningful relationships. And that's not what's going on here. There is literally a life on life, a, a community, a, a, a mingling of souls that is happening in this church in Jerusalem. And we'll see how that fleshes out, but just realize it produces generosity, it pre produces deep love, it produces a desire to be with one another, it produces forgiveness and grace. It, it is easy, really easy, to see your Christian commitment as the attendance of an event. You just never find that in the New Testament. It, what the gospel calls us to is the life of Christ. I cannot find that life of Christ 
apart from you. The Jesus in you that saved you, that rescued you, that redeemed you, and the Jesus in me that saved me and rescued and redeemed me is an invitation for the Jesus in me to commune with the Jesus in you. There is a call to a depth of relationship that is authentic and real and deep. This early church had this fellowship. It's not just eating meals. There's this mingling of souls. And they were devoted to it. It means that there's a commitment. They're ongoing saying, man, I have to be with people. Anywhere you go, hang out with people. There's going to be some people that are hard to love. There's going to be some people that rub you the wrong way. There's going to be some people that have needs and you're going to feel compelled to meet them. But you're going to go, but I want to go do this this weekend. and It doesn't fit my budget. There's going to be all this stuff that's part of community. And they were devoted to the fellowship. Listen, if we're truly going to be the, Christ, the church of Christ in this city, it's not going to be the amazing preaching of the pastor that's going to do it. It's going to be the beauty of the communion of the saints, you being close to one another that will be compelling for people in a world that is so divided. The fellowship. They were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now here, this can refer possibly to meals. But most scholars will look at this and say, even though it might refer to meals, there's a specific reference Because the place we have in Scripture where bread was broken was when Jesus stood over the Passover meal and he broke the bread and he gave thanks, saying, this is my body that is given for you. He took the cup and he said, this is the the, the cup of the new covenant, the blood that I will shed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In other words, I really believe that what he's saying here is while it may be a commitment to eating, because it's referenced later, that most of the time, even when they shared a meal, they paused to remember the body and blood of Christ. It is a commitment to sacrament. John Calvin, said, when he gives the definition of the church, says the church where the word of God is preached and the sacraments are rightly administered, there you have a church. The focus on the fact that there is something going on. Now, why in the world sacraments? Why in the world especially communion? But baptism, was, which is the other sacrament or ordinance in the church, is mentioned earlier. Why these two things? And what happens is you come here and we preach Christ, but sometimes we need something that we we can feel, that we can see, that we can taste. We need need something tangible. And the, the devotion to the celebration of the sacraments, these are gifts that Christ gave to us that picture and make tangible the beauty of the gospel. Baptism, this picture that a a person who was running from Christ is now dead. They have been buried and been raised to walk with Christ. That is a picture of saying the same thing that happened to Jesus happened to me. That Christ died, buried, and rose again. Now I am, I've died to me, buried, and risen again. That we do this one time. You don't get baptized all the time. But the church celebrates baptism because for the rest of us, it is a celebratory picture of Christ's redemption, that the old me, I love, we, we show a video, and there's an, uh, every time we baptize, and uh, in this video, uh, this one kid says, the old Jimmy is gone. And every time I hear the, that, the hair on the back of my neck stands up, because I go, yes, that's the hope, right? And, and, and then we come to the Lord's table. Here we generally do it once a month, but we, we are devoted to the sacrament of coming together, of remembering the body and the blood of Jesus broken, making visible and tangible so we taste, see, and touch the gospel and be reminded of what Christ has done for us. And we make it visible, not just to ourselves, but to the world. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians says that every time we partake, partake of the Lord's table, we proclaim his death until he comes again. 
And this early church is, is celebrating the sacraments. They're doing communion. They're dedicated to, to these, these moments where they make the gospel visible in the world. They're also devoted to prayers. They're devoted to prayers. Um, and it's not just like a quick prayer at the end of the service. It is they're devoted, continually devoting themselves to coming together and praying. When they gather together, they pray. When they go on their own, they pray. When somebody has a need, they pray. When they're figuring out what it looks like to be devoted to prayer. And these commitments are what shapes them in the gospel. Prayer is a cry of dependence to a God, to reminding ourselves that we can't do anything on our own. We need grace and mercy and help. Um, Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, which is an amazing book about a Christian community, says this. A Christian fellowship lives and exists by the intercession of its members for one another or it collapses. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray. No matter how much trouble he causes me, his face that hitherto may have been strange and intolerable to me is transformed in intercession into the countenance of a brother for whom Christ died, the face of a forgiven sinner. I love that. Like, this person rubs me the wrong way. Go pray with them. Go pray for them. Lift them up. It's amazing how the gospel works and draws us to each other. And so, so there are, are four commitments to the apostles' teaching, the word of God, to, to the fellowship, intimacy with the communion of saints, uh, the, fellowship, uh, the, the breaking of bread, to the sacraments, and to prayer. This leads to three directions. There are three trajectories, then, that happens in this early church that, that are important. And here's why we need this, why we need the embassy, that the embassy moves itself in the world in three directions. What happens is, is um, we go through our lives, and, and if we don't have a locker room, if we don't have a community of faith, when life is difficult, what do we do with this? Where do we stand? I, listen, as a pastor, it is my honor but also my way to end up with people who I, I am praying for and with that, that their kids are hurting and struggling and running away from the Lord. I, I, I have sat in living rooms with people with their head in their hands sobbing because their wife or their husband has bugged out and left them. I have put my arms around people who got brutal news from their physician. I have been with people even this week who were at the grave side of somebody they deeply loved. And every time I'm in those spaces, Every time I'm in those spaces, here's what goes on in my mind. How do people who don't have Christ in the community of faith make it? How do they navigate this world? The hopelessness and the lack of meaning and, and not knowing that you have a place to go. This to me is what's so sad in so many churches where the church is not a community. It's just a building and a place and an event. And it's not really becoming an embassy of Christ. It's becoming more an entertainment center than a church. Because if you don't have a community of people to run to, 
what happens in those moments and what happens in this church? We see these trajectories that helps me in my walk, like helps you in your walk, figure out what it looks like for my own life to be shaped by the gospel and to have the presence of Christ in my life. And so there's these trajectories that the embassy pushes all of us toward. It, like this is the, tra- the trajectories in this verse, the directions of this passage are the trajectories that Christ is calling you and I to, to, to be transformed in the gospel and to be uh, there for us when we have deep need. And the first trajectory is in, that there's a trajectory that forces us not inside myself, but into the community of faith, that, that there is a push to be with people. Look at verse 44, okay? Look, look now at verse 44. Let, let your eyes drift down and look at this, okay? Verse 44 says this. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Do you see that? There is, is something going on that is saying, first of all, they believe together. There is a, a faith that I hold with you. We think that I, like, like it's, if it's just me and Jesus, that's enough. You don't find that in the scripture. It's me with Jesus that pushes me to you, and we now believe in common so that when my faith is waning, my faith is failing, when I'm hurting, when I don't know how to make sense, I have you to put your arm around me and pray over me and say, Mike, Christ will see you through. And you need that too. That, that what happens in this text is we see this this common faith. We see this authentic love. Jesus told them that, that the world will know that you are Christians by your love for one another. They'd learn to love one another. Even the people that are hard to love, they learn to love one another, right? There is this authentic love. There's this crazy generosity that, that when I see you hurting and you don't have enough and you're not making it and, and your needs are, are not being met when, when everything's falling apart in your life, that I'm willing to sell even my house if that's what it takes to help you out. I don't see that kind of generosity in Christian church anywhere in America. You, you do see it in Haiti in the third world countries. But there is a, a beautiful generosity that shows up where I'm willing to sell even a piece of land or something. We're gonna see this as the text goes on. There are stories where that literally happens. Luke gives us a glimpse here of what it looks like in the whole church. Now, some people run into this and go, well, there's proof of communism. Like there are whole places where they've tried to build that the right uh, government is communism from this text. You need to know this is, this is always voluntary from the church. It is not asking the government or even, it's not even asking a governing board of the church to say, all right, what we're going to do is we're going to create a central bank of the church. You go sell all your houses and give the deed to the church. It's not what's going on. There is a loving generosity where if I see you in need, I'm going to do all that I can to make sure your need is met. And the beauty of generosity that takes place in this text is is just gorgeous. There is a a movement in. I've had people in situations where we've tried to love them, but they just would not avail themselves to community. They would not come and be part of the people of God. They wanted to come to an event. And when their lives are hurting, we try to serve them, but we don't, like, there's just not a way to authentically love and serve people who aren't in community. I've seen other people when their life falls apart, Community groups are putting together money for a meal. They show up and they are present in the space. They, they are praying with the people. I mean, it's just, it's a beautiful thing. There is a, a movement in. There's also a movement out. 
But we see the text do, it's, it tells us that they have this movement out in the community. We're told that they have favor in the city, that there is love, like their activity is in the community, that one of the places they meet, and I'll come to this in a minute, is in the temple, which is a public place. That there is a mission, there is, like, we are together, but we are together with the city. So here we are, like, this church is, is an embassy of the kingdom. They are Christ's people, but they are in Jerusalem, and Jerusalem matters. We are an embassy of the kingdom in Eureka. Eureka matters. And if there's not something that is pushing us together out into our city to lift our chin and see the lostness and the brokenness and the need for Christ, we're missing the point. There is a movement out, but there is also a movement up. A movement up that, that what happens is coming together and being in the community lifts our chin. Look at what it says in verse 46. It says, uh, at the end of verse 46, it says, they receive their food with glad and generous hearts. So there's the eating like meals together, but they, they, they have glad hearts and, and then they are praising God, praising God and having favor. They're worshiping. They, there is a heart of praise and worship. It, here's what happens, at least for me. Maybe it doesn't for you, and my challenge is start thinking this way. But, but because I know you all who are part of Genesis in, in ways I know a lot about what's going on in a lot of your lives. What I do is I walk in here, and this morning, like, I wrote it in my notes before I had it. This morning was exhibit A of me just having a total wrong frame of mind. I was really late, and I hit every red light in Eureka on the way here. And that, for me, that combination gets me really sideways. Um, you shouldn't be in the car with me at that time. I'm yelling at everybody. Okay. Now walk in here with that going on in my heart. And I need grace big time. Now walk in here, and I know some of you are going through crisis, health, struggles, loss of loved ones, things that are deeply painful. And you walk in here, and somehow the gospel has reached you, and you are a redeemed person. And you, in this moment, we start singing, and through tears sometimes... I see these chins up and these arms lifted and songs being raised. And the praise of God in the midst of that for the community of faith and for those who are coming in as outsiders just is awe-inspiring. For those who are in community of faith, I go, that's, that's right, that's right, Mike. It's not about you. Because I spend my whole week thinking it is about me. And I need to come to the people of God where we together praise God so that my, my gaze is moved from me to the eternal, the king of the universe. And the outside world looks at this and goes, I don't know how to make sense of this. There is this movement that is in towards each other, that is out in community, that is up. And, and we in our lives need all of those so that we don't get fixed on me. I will become so self-centered if I'm not in the community of faith very quickly, Right? So there are three movements. Two places, very quickly. It, we're told in the text that they, they met in the temple courts. In other words, they come together, this crowd of 3,000 plus people on a regular, regular rhythmic basis come to a, a place where it is a public gathering in a very public place. In Jerusalem, it is in the temple. 
As we read the rest of Acts, they are meeting in, in, in key places in these cities. But they're coming together in these public places where they are visible to the world. It is welcome to any outsider, and they make Christ known, and they are preaching the gospel. They're coming together in the temple courts, but they also are meeting in an intimate community. It tells us from house to house they are meeting, from home to home. Um, and, and so what happens, this church immediately went from 120 people. That's the outside edge of, of where you can do community, be close to people. Like 120 people is about it. That's really more, but they went to, from that to a church of 3,120. There's no way a church of 3,120 can be what this text calls it to be. You can't have fellowship with 3,000 people. So what happens? As it gets bigger, it gets smaller. As they grow in the public gathering, there is more emphasis on what is going on in the homes. Here's a community group project this week. As you're doing your community groups, raise this question. Read this text and just start circling every little thing. I'm not going to be able to hit every little thing that happens in the text. But circle it and, and like put a one next to everything that you think probably happened when they were together at the temple. Put a two next to everything that had to have happened in homes. And put a three next to things that could have happened either in both or either place. It's not hard to figure out that most of the stuff that is going on, they're doing in homes. They're doing faith and life. As the church got bigger, the, the, the intimacy, the intentionality of home to home got smaller. There are two locations. If you have, like in Genesis, this is why we do community groups. And it's why we tell you that if you really want to grow as a disciple of Jesus, you need to be with us gathered on Sunday, but you've got to get in the people. You gotta get in a home and get in a place where people are doing faith and life together. And, and what happens then is that there are three outcomes. Three outcomes we see in the text, and I'm gonna hit these really quick, but, the, but they're there. The first outcome, and th- these outcomes are things that God does. The church doesn't do these, but a gospel-shaped people who are living these values and, and these commitments, who are gathering in such a way that it is both sending them into one another. There is love and care for one another. They are loving the city well, and they are a people who are defined by their worship and praise of God. And they're meeting in these places that are both public and intimate. What happens, the outcome in this text is that, first of all, disciples are made. It tells us that the Lord added daily, the Lord added to the number daily. Now, we can read that and say, well, we're not seeing A thousand people every week baptized. That must mean that we're not doing what is right. That's God's work. There are reasons in history why there are massive baptisms and conversions and reasons that there are seasons where the, the, the dirt is much harder to plow and the growth of the church is much slower. As you see churches planted in Acts, there are some churches that we see become very big very quickly in certain cities. In other cities, it is very hard for the church to be more than just a few people. The number of people that are added is God's work, but what happens is we see discipleship. People come to faith in Jesus. They begin to grow in their faith in Jesus. They become missionaries to the culture, and God reproduces that. This is why we, we need to jump onto who's your one, knowing that it's not our job to save anybody, but it is our job to be faithful, right? And so, so, so disciples are made. Second thing is that there's awe and favor, favor in the city. When they see the love, generosity, the service of the poor, they see the church doing justice and caring for the broken things in a culture. When they see the church, that the level of love for one another, the text tells us that, that the city was filled with awe and that they had favor. They had favor in the city. 
that God granted them favor so that their, the culture began to see them. Now, this is what happens. Listen, when the community of faith, like, our world is not really, it, the American culture is not really enthralled with the church. And I think the reason is because we failed to be holistically, the church in America failed to really be what this text calls us to. When people in our culture think church, they think mean-spirited, bigots, people who are only politically motivated. But when when a culture looks at an individual church or the church and a culture, and, and the first thing that comes to mind is, man, they love each other, they are super generous, they care for the broken things in the world, they love the poor. When people see the character of Christ, the authentic character of Christ in us, it will give us favor in the city. And this is what's going on. And that's the second outcome. But the third outcome is this. There is opposition and persecution. Now, that's not in this text. It shows up quick as we keep reading, okay? That that even though the culture, if we're authentic in our faith, and we love Jesus, and it's visible in the way we love each other and do justice and care for the poor and those sort of things. And the culture begins to go, man, there's something different about those people. They may love our character, but eventually they are going to hate our message because we're going to tell them that Christ is the only way. The only way you can have this kind of peace, hope in the world is to trust in Jesus. And they're going to hate our message that is going to call them to repentance. And yes, there will be some people who despise us us if we are authentic to our witness. But God will take care of us and see us through, but this is one of the outcomes. And these are all things that Christ both promised and assured that he will be with us in. And so what we're praying is for a movement of God in our church that we become an embassy. What happens in any embassy of faith, any church, right, is that an embassy is two things, okay? Check this out as I close. Two things. First of all, an embassy of faith, a church, a community of faith, an embassy of Christ is first of all a representation of the kingdom that it serves in a different culture context. So in other words, a church is an embassy of Christ. Christ is our king. He is our Lord and our Messiah, right? Amen? All right, like three of you again. He's our Lord and our Messiah, amen? Amen. And we are representative as a community of faith. We are his representatives in a world that doesn't know Christ. We love this city, we are for this city, and we are now standing with Christ as an embassy. We represent Christ to the world, but an embassy is also a place of safety for those who are already citizens of that culture, of that kingdom, to run to when their lives are hurting, right? I mean, any show that has this sort of, there are moments where when life goes haywire, the, the people from who are citizens of our country run to the embassy that becomes a place of safety. And that's what the church is. We are a representation, representation of Christ to our culture and a place of safety for those who need safety and, and, and a place to belong. Y'all, this is a locker room, a place where we are together in this and we love one another and we all need that. It is, it is the means of grace for you and I to make it through this world. Now, what happens? We got 3,120 people. Isn't that enough? Shouldn't they just quit there? Well, we'll have to see, right? Does it keep growing? And, and we didn't really get to this this week. We'll come back to it later. But there are signs and wonders. These crazy miracles. Does that still go on today? And what are these signs and wonders? What will happen that are signs and wonders? What, what will take back in that? And, and isn't it a really bad idea 
to go to the temple, like the place that is run by all the people who actually murdered Jesus and preached there? And where do they go? And, and what happens there? And, and as this goes on, does it ever turn sideways for him? Well, guess what? To be continued, right? To get the answers to those questions, you will have to come back to the same Acts time, same Acts channel next week. But for today, there is an offer to all of us. It's to run to Jesus and to find beauty in his community. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, there's the hope for you. That Christ, like we're offering you Jesus as Lord and Christ. Run to him. At the end of our service, we'll have people down here over in this corner by, by these doors behind the speakers over here that will be here to pray with you, to talk to you about who Jesus is, to share Christ with you. We would love to do that. And if you're here today and you're hurting and you just need prayer, maybe you just need a, a fellow believer to just put their arms around you and tell you it's going to be okay. We have people who are ready to pray with you today. Please, please avail yourself to that. But for all of us, this is an invitation to be more than just an attender at an event, to be part of Christ's embassy his kingdom, his church. All right? Now, one way, quick transition, one way that we can do this is realize that Christ put us here, but we also get to be a part of seeing this community transplanted all over the world. We are a church planting church. We love church planting. I talked about that a lot. I'm not going to spend a lot of detail here, but we love church planting. And in April every year, we pause and do an offering encouraging your generosity to give a little bit above and over what you normally give to the purpose of church planting. And we share this with our partners. One of our partners, funny enough, is an organization called Acts 29. I love the name because if you read through Acts, we're going to get to the end and we'll talk more about this. There are only 28 chapters in Acts. But guess what? The story of Acts is to be continued. We are Acts 29. The story continues. And so uh, one of our partners is Acts 29. They are a church planting network that, that they're one, they do one thing. They plant churches. And so some of the money that is given towards our church plant offering will go to support the Acts 29 Church Planning Network. So in closing, I'm going to invite you to look up at the screen, watch this video that tells you about this amazing network we get to be a part of called Acts 29, and then pray about how God would have you during this month of April, during Easter month, to support an offering that would go to help plant churches all over North America.